The following is a Sports Ethos presentation. Follow me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. As the intro always says, this is a Sports Ethos presentation, so check out Sports Ethos on Twitter at Sports Ethos, online, sportsethos.com. Also, listeners, while y'all doing that, please take a moment to follow at Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter. The single most dominant basketball and fantasy news feed on earth. Get all of your NBA news in one handy Twitter feed. It's fast in the competition, and it provides more analysis, too. Again, that's at Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter. Follow now. Uh, today, well, this morning will be Tuesday, the 26th of April. We are just inching ever closer to May. And I am happy to be joined by a good friend, uh, regular here on the show, Dallas Mavericks fan, uh, SBC alum. I can just keep on going down the accolades, but his name is Anarud, um, exclusive to Roundball Ramble. Anarud, how you doing, bro? Uh, just enjoying the buffet of playoff games we've had this last week, pretty much. Yeah, we have been blessed in that regard. Like, we haven't had one full day of horrible basketball. You know what I mean? There's been a couple of blowouts here and there, a couple of bad games. But even then, you can always find one game that was pretty good um, or and or memorable for one or reason or another. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Minnesota-Memphis, that, that's been a story every day. It really has. It really has. But um, what we are going to do before we go into that and many other series, let's start with the awards. This award season, it's one of my, that's probably one of my least favorite aspects of the NBA. I don't like doing awards. I don't like handing out awards, Um, just deciding who wins. It's It's so much discourse over these selections that good, bad, and indifferent. I'm like, hey, I'll stay out of it. But I do like to plug back in once you've actually, you know, picked awards. And so now we have two. Um, Marcus Smart, the first guard since Gary Payton back in, what, 96, um, to be a defensive player of the year. And we also have uh, the first rookie of the year to be named most improved player in John Morant. So Marcus Smart, John Morant, two rather interesting surprises in terms of um, – players who have won awards where there were much more obvious and or more interesting candidates. Oh, also speaking of that, Scotty Barnes winning rookie of the year when I thought Evan Mobley was clearly better. Um, but just with those thoughts out there, Anirudh, what have you thought about these awards? Have any been more surprising to you? Any that you absolutely just detested? Uh, what's the 411? There's also a fourth award that's been announced by Charlotte. Um, on their Twitter today, they announced that LaMelo Ball has won the key MVP. Oh, really? I don't know what the hell that is. Uh, that's confusing to me too, sir. Okay, I mean MVP. Like it was an official tweet from the official Charlotte Hornets account. It was it was weird, but whatever. Um, do what they gotta do. Yeah, I guess. I mean, you want to draw up some support for your guy? Just say he wins MVP. I actually but, uh, would wait a little bit till after the remnants of that blowout game are gone from people's memories. But whatever, each their own. Yeah. But yeah, so as for, I mean, Rookie of the Year, I thought it was pretty close between Barnes and Mobley. I think Mobley, um, because he missed a little more time, maybe he could give it to Barnes, but I personally didn't care. Like, either was fine. Um, as for Defensive Player of the Year, like, I don't have a huge problem with Smart winning it. I think what my problem was is more that it seemed like because of specifically Gobert and this idea that he's like fallen apart in the playoffs, that people want to go in the opposite direction and award uh, perimeter players. And I don't think there's anything wrong inherently with saying that perimeter players can be defensive player of the year, but mm-hmm. please acknowledge that like big men have the most impact on the floor. It's just by rule, like they have the most impact. Like, no one's going to tell me that Marcus Smart is a better defensive player than Giannis Antetokounmpo. I'm sorry. Like, you're not doing – it's not happening. 
And yeah, I feel you. Uh-huh. The rules are completely different. I think the justification for me, like Marcus Smart, I think is a more unique guard because he allows the Celtics to do a lot of things. One, like Marcus Smart can actually protect the rim on rotations, which mm-hmm. very few guards can actually do. And True. then also his sheer size makes switching so much easier. Like if Marcus Smart is your smallest player, that's very different than him just being a combo guard who plays at the two, but you have to play smaller guard next to him. Like it may, he is very unique. So I don't have a problem with him winning it. I think my problem is more just that like, it seemed this year people were really, especially trying to like say that, oh, this should be the year that a perimeter player wins. And it felt like they were trying to force a perimeter player to win it. Whereas I think you should have, it should be more holistic and you shouldn't just say like predetermined that, oh, perimeter player, this is the year to win. Or this year, because of the past couple of years, we can't pick a big man again. Like, I think that's my problem too. And then as for most improved, um, I just think in general, like, my the way I've always seen the award is it should go to someone who improved to a point that we didn't really see coming. Um, so a couple of years ago, uh, Luca's second year, there was this buzz for him to win the award, mm-hmm. which I thought was stupid. But the guy I thought, like Brandon Ingram, I think won it that year. I didn't have a problem with that. But like no. the guy I was really thinking of who sh- might, who I would have made the case for was Devontae Graham that year. He went from a guy who was not really in the rotation for the Hornets to being their starting point guard. And he was doing a pretty damn good job. Like he fell off a little bit the year after, but he's still a serviceable player. And I like to see the most improved player award go to guys like that who make a real leap out of nowhere. So this year, like John Morant, okay, we knew John Morant was going to be good. It's not like John Morant suddenly became an MVP MVP candidate for after being like a below rotation player. No, he was like at least the sub all-star level last year, maybe Mm -hmm. all-star. And for him to go into the definite all-star potential all NBA and MVP level, isn't that big of a jump to me. And it's more expected out of it. Like this guy was the number two pick. He's been, the face of the franchise, like, this is what we expect out of him. Whereas, like, a guy like Jordan Poole, dude was literally one of the worst NBA players his first year. Yeah, that's and true. And now this, he's, like, the best player on the Warriors, apparently. I'm joking, but... Like, <laughs> I, I was waiting, I was like, close. oh, interesting, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're definitely right. He, he has been, like, a key part of why they've been successful. I mean, this guy from a guy who was, what, third-team All-G League or something, right? Yeah, and, like, that's the kind of improvement I would rather see rewarded. But I get it. Like, people want to try to give some award to John Morant. So, and like, John Morant even gave it to Desmond Bay. Like, he actually just gave the award to Desmond Bay. Which is dope. <laughs> Which I love, but, like, Informative, but still. that's not a good look for the NBA. Like... But where do you think that goes, Anaru? Do you think that's the NBA's fault or the people they nominate to make these picks? Because that's been more my issue over the years. Oh no, I think it's the people. Like I don't the NBA is clearly not voting. Like it's the people who are voting for it. And I think one issue is probably just that like the criteria isn't defined enough so people can take liberties with it and define each award in the way they want. But there's no real solution. Like in the end, it's just me complaining because I like complaining. So it's not like the NBA can make some master change that would actually help. I see what you mean. I, I'm with you on that. I just, I, I don't know. I think there needs to be an overhaul of the way this is done, the way the discourse is, the fact that those who do the voting um, also oftentimes are the ones who influence the MVP decision before it actually happens. I mean, how much did we hear about the storyline for Luka Doncic being MVP last year before, obviously, you know, he didn't win it and it went back. Who did it go? Giannis again? Jokic. Like, oh, Jokic. I mean, Jokic, my fault. The point being, like, 
we sometimes it feels like the useful discourse is cut out because we're already nominating a person and forcing them into the narrative until they no longer fit said narrative. Jokic ended up becoming MVP, but before that, you look at it, a lot of folks were trying to, you know, crown Nicole, um, um, trying to crown um, Luka Doncic as MVP or potential MVP until it was obvious after another soul start that that wasn't going to happen. Then they drifted otherwise. Like, why not let the game kind of sort itself out, you know? I mean, part of it is just like the betting market. So people will always, there'll always be a side that will put out odds for MVP and TV will always want to talk about it. Uh, the thing that I personally don't like is the fact that like these voters have actual say in like how much the guy gets paid. Mm-hmm. That I don't think is fair. Like I remember two years ago, um, Chris Middleton didn't make the all NBA team third team, I think, or one of the, uh, one of the all NBA teams, I think it was 13 because his vote was split between guard and forward. And you had, I think Russell Westbrook or Ben Simmons, one of them make it, maybe both of them make it as like a third team guard, but Chris Milton had more votes in total than both of them, but he didn't mm-hmm. make it. And Chris Milton had a qualifier that would give him more money. So it's things like that that would annoy me. And I know Tatum talked about it earlier, but yeah. in general, like I think with the inherent biases that each voter will have, you forcing players to have their salary dependent on that, I don't think is a fair idea. Unless you're going to have like a very strict committee of people that you decide, okay, this is a wide array of audiences. This isn't going to be inherently biased towards some people. Um, and this is going to be the committee every year. And here are the exact definitions we're going to use. So for instance, like get rid of positions or make it just like front court, back court, wild cards. I don't care. Like make something that makes more sense than this whole like this idea that like, okay, Jokic and Embiid uh, will allow you to put them both at forward. No. Why would you do that? None of them play forward. And then also, like, all you're doing is making it worse for them because let's say people split the votes uh, between forward and center. Well, if Embiid gets more votes at forward, he'll be listed as forward. But if he gets more votes at center, he'll be listed as center. And all those votes at forward doesn't mean anything now. So now he's just lost a bunch of votes. So it's things like that, like, that just annoy me. In the NBA, it feels like they come up with these rules last second to quote unquote like fix issues where people are like oh Embiid and Jokic should be on the first team it's like I get it but according to the rules we have no stop changing it just before the voting because you want to fit it to what you think the outcome should be yeah true true well I mean that's as good a part as I need to kind of put a pin in this conversation for now and move on to the playoffs and Honor Rude, what's some crazy playoffs we've had so far? Uh, we had our first sweep. Uh, well, by the time folks listened to this yesterday, as the Nets got the dustpan, being the first and only team uh, to go out without winning a game uh, this postseason. But we also have uh, some teams staging a comeback and one team that seems to be falling apart before our eyes. So uh, which playoff series? Actually, let's start with the Nets and um, Celtics. Celtics beat the Nets for the fourth time in a row, 116 to 112, putting down multiple of net rallies. Jason Tatum finished 29 points, three rebounds and five assists, outdoing Kevin Durant, who finally had a game where he went off for 39 points, along with seven rebounds and nine assists. Um, I don't know, this wasn't just uh, Jason Tatum. We actually fought out with two minutes left in the fourth quarter. You had five players in total in double digits. You had 22 uh, for Jalen Brown, 20 for Marcus Smart, 14 for Grant Williams, who was four or six from three, and 13 for Al Horford. Um, you know, for Brooklyn, you had 23 from Seth Curry and 20 from Irving. Uh, you had impactful minutes off the bench from Blake Griffin, who did score, but made some just valiant efforts. Uh, but it just wasn't enough for Brooklyn, who, you know, find themselves heading into offseason uh, way earlier with a lot more questions and answers. I'm going to throw this to you to get your take on what did you think happened here uh, on the route? I think one team was very well disciplined and the other wasn't. 
and the team that was very disciplined won. I mean, look at the way Boston defended. Like, their defense is incredible, and we know, but just constantly adjusting and covering up for each other. Like, mm. there are very few weak points on the Celtics roster they can attack on defense. The two that they have are Pritchard and Tice. But anytime those two are on the court, they would cover up for them instantly. If they're in a bad matchup, they get a switch immediately and take them out of the matchup. And it's things like that where Boston is always making sure that every defensive rotation is perfect and every shot that Katie has to take is going to be hard and contested. They're going to try new things. They're going to mix up the coverages on him, but they will make every shot hard. And a lot of that was Tatum. Like, he did an incredible job on Kevin Durant. Just with the size, contesting, and he mm-hmm. still had solid offensive games. Very true. He did. It was a it was a total effort. I think across the board, uh, for Boston, I mean, you gotta be impressed for the way that they were able to come with a disciplined game plan, stick throughout the entire way, committed to that, and 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 pretty good unification across the starters and the bench unit. Any uh, configuration that Coach uh, Ime Doka um, put out there um, for Brooklyn, man, they just didn't have that. And you're right, some of that was uh, Steve Nash's probably ISO heavy style. Uh, that benefited them in the regular season for Kevin Durant, for Kyrie Irving. But uh, especially in this game where I'm not going to lie, it looked to me like Kyrie kind of checked out for a little bit there. I never know what's going on with Kyrie. Um, (laughs) But I think, like, one, I think Brooklyn kind of really misses some guys from last year, especially Jeff Green. Uh, Obviously, it's not like Jeff Green is killing it on Denver right now, but just a guy with some size that could switch and play some defensive space of floor. It's really helpful. And you saw it like if the Nets wanted to be a little bigger to match up with the Celtics, they'd lose all their spacing. You'd have to bring in Claxton or Drummond, who was pretty much excised from the rotation. But if you want to play smaller to score, you're putting out lineups with Patty Mills, Seth Curry, Goran Dragic, six two six three guards out there with Kyrie Irving who's also small compared to your average wing and then Kevin Durant's big but Kevin Durant's also not the kind of guy who like drives into the paint a lot especially since the injury he hasn't really been uh, attacking the rim nearly as much he likes to get into the mid-range just get a shot off so you're one, just not creating nearly the same amount of dribble penetration that you would hope your stars can do. And if you're playing a bunch of 6-1 guys, like the matchup's a lot easier for the defenders. Mm-hmm. It's easier front guys when the guy you're fronting is 6-1 as opposed to like 6-10. Uh, and then also, I think any time that Brooklyn seemed to like finally get an idea that, hey, maybe we should run a play on the side or have some small action going on. Mm-hmm. Boston just did a good job of cutting it off immediately. They were very good at just nullifying what Brooklyn wanted to do and just making life miserable. And you had games where it was just like, hey, Bruce Brown, if you're going to beat us, go for it. But it yeah. didn't look like they could. Or Dragic had a good game in there. He couldn't do it either. It's just we will nullify KD, Kyrie, good luck, driving into the paint. And he had some good looks today, but it's not going to be enough against a team that's elite defensively and can score on you on the other end, and you can't stop them. No, you're right. They basically lay out the, the terms of engagement, and it is what it is. You, you You nailed it exactly right. And for Brooklyn, I mean, looking up, what's next? I mean, for contract-wise, they can be kind of set. Kevin Durant's under contract through 2026, Ben Simmons through 2025, and Kyrie, who's already been on record saying that he is going to return. And um, you got to love this quote here, Anarud. Um, He said that, when I say I'm here with Kev, I think that really entails us managing the franchise together alongside Joe and Sean. That's just a classic quote. Where have I heard a player say, I'm here for life? Uh, Right, right. You're Um, right. I'm here for a while. I think Uh, there was a point guard back in Boston. uh Uh-huh. If you guys will have me back, I plan on re-signing here next summer. 
famous, yeah. right? Well, now he went from I mean, that guess- to running the team. He's, he, he said himself he's going to run the squad alongside Joe and Sean. He put out a quote the other day where he said, like, the reason we've been performing badly in the series is that we haven't had enough time to gel together. It's like, yeah, you know why? Because of you. <laughs> because of your decision. That's mm-hmm. one of the main reasons why this team hasn't had time to gel together. But as for in the future, like, when you're building a team around multiple stars who are on big contracts, the biggest thing is how do you fill in the rest of the roster? And your team struggled to do that, and you saw it this year. And yeah. the Nets could be in the same situation last year. Like, it was hard for the Nets to get any size out there that was serviceable. Like, Claxton can be a little foul-heavy, but he was solid. But aside from that, you had Drummond, who – tried to survive in the series, but couldn't do it. Blake Griffin, who, like, took a bunch of charges and, like, was going full out out there. But, and LaMarcus Aldridge, who's just gone. So, it's going to be finding these minimum guys. And it's hard. A lot of teams can't do it. Uh, The best team that I've seen do it is Miami. But that's because they kind of actively scout out these guys and figure it out. So unless you have a system like that, I think it's just hard to build a roster. And I don't know what they do. I mean, then there's also the Ben Simmons stuff, like how healthy can he be next year? Um, how does he play with these guys? There's just a lot of variables that we have to see. Yeah. No, you said it. it's going to be very interesting to see kind of where uh, people move on. Again, Kyrie has a $36.5 million player option. Uh, he'll be a free agent next year. The Nets did, of course, take back their extension offer in the wake of everything that happened with Kyrie. Um, but Kyrie at least is under contract with Brooklyn through next year. For free agents, Bruce Brown is going to be up for a raise. Blake Griffin, LaMarcus Aldridge are two free agents that are probably going to find other teams, if I had to imagine. Nick Claxton's a free agent, as well as Goran Dragic and Andre Drummond. Um, and it's funny, Andre Drummond, uh, during the regular season, I think he was the one who did the peace out sign when he went for that dunk. Um, and then the Nets imploded. Uh, and then with the Lakers last year, he was doing the mock post up with LeBron, and then the Lakers imploded. So if Andre Drummond is celebrating for your team, it's probably not the greatest of signs. Um, but for Boston, man, you already mentioned they played well, they did great. They're moving on to play the winner of Chicago and Milwaukee. I'm just kidding. Um, they're going to play the winner. They're going to play the the Bucks. They're going to play the Bucks, and that should be interesting. Um, we'll probably re- we'll probably talk about that next week, um, in terms of um, previewing that series. But moving on to the next one here, Rapid Fire. 76ers lost again to the Raptors. Mind you, they were up three games to zero. Now it is three games to two. Uh, heading back to Toronto for game six. Um, Raptors beat the 76ers, really just kind of mollywopped them, 103 to 88 in a game that wasn't even all that close. Pascal Siakam had 23 points, 10 boards, and seven assists, uh, which was more than enough for Joel Embiid's 20 points, 11 boards, and four assists. Um, it also helped that Pascal Siakam had help. OG and Nobi had 16 points. Gary Trent Jr. had 16 points, 17 off the bench for Precious Achua, 12 for Scotty Barnes. Whereas for Embiid, you had uh, all five in, in double figures, uh, 16 for Tobias Harris, 14 for Danny Green, 12 for Tyrese Maxey. I saved the biggest for last, just 15 points and seven assists for James Harden, despite playing 40 minutes. And by the way, on the route, 40 minutes, 11 shots attempted. Uh, that is just above Danny Green and only above Danny Green by one shot for all five starters. So, Let's throw this over to you. What did you take on this series and the 76ers specifically? Uh, I think in general, like I've been impressed with, especially these last two games, how the Raptors have countered the Sixers uh, early on in the series. It felt like they were treating James Harden like he was still the James Harden who was MVP and the scoring monster. Um the way I would have liked to see them is not help as much off of him and or try not to put too much on the two on the ball whenever he's in the pick and roll. Like, let him score. Let him show you that he can actually score 20 uh, at the rim. He hasn't been able to do that yet. 
And I think early on in the series, they kept helping to try to stop him, uh, stop Harden from scoring, that they just kind of let Tyrese Maxey go off. He's been especially deadly when he can just catch and go. And especially when the Raptors are already in rotation, it's deadly. But over these last two games, they're kind of not trying to overhelp off of Harden, doubling and beat all the time. And then on offense, I think that's where the Raptors have been really impressive. They just won without Fred Van Fleet. Uh, Harden hasn't had a guy to just get the switch off of and attack. Um, but Toronto, you have, you have Pascal Siakam, who's really taking a step forward as just being aggressive and driving. But you have someone presses to will come set the screen. Or it will be uh, Gary Trent Jr. with Maxi guarding him. And Siakam will just reject the screen and he'll drive and finish. And Embiid, who really wants to help, will always kind of leave someone in the corner. And they've been letting OG get some shots off, Scotty Barnes in the corner. Or someone will catch and immediately cut back door. Precious um, did this a couple of times in the matchup where he'll just kind of sneak behind and beat and get right underneath the rim where Pascal can just make an easy pass. So it's things like that where I think the Raptors are slowly figuring out how to make the Sixers work and how to they get struggle. And the Sixers in general, I feel like, are getting a little sloppy as the series grows. And they're kind of just making a little more mistakes and not being nearly as aggressive. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I think that how much of that do you think is from the players and how much comes from the coaching staff up top? Okay, I'm on the record as thinking Doc Rivers is not a good coach. So, uh, Which you told me, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in general, like, I think today Embiid was really sloppy. Like, foul trouble, quite a few turnovers. Harden especially just couldn't get anything really going. They get five turnovers out there. Mm. And when those two guys aren't going and early on in the series, it was Maxi was kind of energizing that team. It's Tobias Harris, but because the Raptors aren't uh, trying to put two on the ball against Harden, it's easier to cover Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxi, and it's becoming harder for them to score. And without them scoring and the Raptors reacting to that, the offense for Philly is just getting a bit more stagnant. I agree. I agree. We'll have to see if they shake it up and make a difference um, coming to game six, or will it be a game seven? Because I, I will go on record now. If it's a game seven, the 76 will be the first team to lose being up 3-0? I think there is a game seven. I think Raptors are going to win it. I, I have zero faith in Doc Rivers' ability to coach, um, especially when they're up in a series. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think that, yeah, it's going to be it, – it, it, I don't think it's ever happened. Um, No. And you're going against never... Nick Nurse, who's like the coach of finding whatever, trying out whatever hell he wants to and figuring out what can work and what will give me just the slightest advantage. So yep. I trust I mean... him a little more. It's crazy, man. The NBA, that would be funny if that happened. I mean, Doc Rivers would make history again for all the wrong reasons because in the NBA, there's never been a team to win a series after trailing three games to zero. Uh, a few teams have come close. You've had the New York Knicks trailing the Rochester Royals uh, 3-0 back in the 1951 NBA Finals, and they tied it at 3-3, but the Royals won the series in seven games. And then in 94, in the Western Conference Finals, semifinals, the Denver Nuggets trailed Karl Malone and the Jazz three games to zero. They came back four to seven game. Uh, but the Jazz won. And then 2003, uh, between the Trailblazers and the, the Dallas Mavericks, uh, the Trailblazers were down 3-0. They came back and forced the game seven, but Dirk Nowitzki and the Mavericks still won. So there's been 13 occasions where a team has come back trailing three games to one. That wouldn't apply here. Um, in other sports, though, uh, multiple NHL teams have done it. Uh, most recently, the Philadelphia Flyers beating the Boston Bruins during the 2010 
um, Easter Conference semifinals. Oh, and then I guess you had the Los Angeles Kings do it too in 2014. Um, in baseball, I only remember this because I'm from New York. Um, the Boston Red Sox trailed the Yankees 3-0 in the 2004 ALCS, um, but they rallied to win in seven. Um, and Manny Ramirez won the MVP, and now I'm depressed. Yeah. Anyways, that just goes to show you that if it does happen, again, Doc Rivers will have made history and will probably be coached with the Lakers after that because that would just be embarrassing. Um, but moving along to that, let's go to – I'm just going to set the stage to you, Anarud. Dallas beat the Jazz 102-77. Dallas leads three games to two. Um, you had a lot of things happen in this game. Uh, concerningly, Donovan Mitchell um, had an issue with his leg, asked to be pulled out the game. The game was already decided. Not even sure he was in the game at that point, but he asked to be pulled out. Uh, he'll have an MRI later on today. Um, Jordan Clarkson led the way with 20 points, four rebounds, and three assists for Utah. Luka Doncic, Luka Magic, 33 points, 13 rebounds, five assists for him. Uh, listen, it seemed like this entire series, the Dallas Mavericks have figured out the Jazz, and it hasn't helped that the Jazz have sort of uh, imploded before our eyes here. But I'm going to throw it over to you. Uh, what says you, Anarud, on just this series as a whole, from a mass perspective, of course? I think the biggest thing has been Kid is completely outcoached Quinn Snyder. Um, Jazz, what makes them really good on offense is their ability to start their blender system. Someone will drive, kick it out, and meanwhile, there will always be these side actions going on with Bogdanovich or Clarkson, and you're just constantly in rotation against them, and the Jazz are most likely going to get an easy shot off. However, uh, the blueprint is out there for how do you shut off the Jazz offense you switch everything and force them into one-on-one uh scoring and donovan mitchell as good of a scorer as he is when you're being guarded by a guy who's six foot seven and dorian finney smith and who's pretty athletic and strong it's harder to score especially score efficiently so he's been struggling and then the maps has just done a really good job of running all the jazz shooters off the line so especially in the first two games or the first three games where they were barely getting enough three. So like the jazz, I think their season average was like 43 to game. They were getting up about 22 threes wow. in those first three games. So that's a major dead. And meanwhile, Dallas, Dallas is shooting at least 40 threes. So they're completely reversing the game on Utah. And with especially in the first couple of games, like the rotations, by the Jazz perimeter guys were just god-awful. You'd have Jalen Brunson, Spencer Dinwiddie, not even really call for a switch. They'll just pick out whoever, whichever uh, defender's out there. It'll be Mitchell, or sometimes it'll be, hey, I haven't picked on Clarkson in a while. Let me go after him. And it'll just be drive to the rim. Gobert does the right thing and tries to help at the rim, leaving someone in the corner and when it's Maxi Kleva who turns into Dirk Nowitzki for two games, that's not a good idea. And when you have Bogdanovich coming just a bit late, you're, you're going to get an open three. And Mass were hitting open threes. Um, eventually in game four, the first game that Luke actually came back, uh, I thought the Jazz did a really good job of playing with effort and actually rotating. And you saw that. Their defense was a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, Bogdanovich, especially like, good lord, that guy played. Remember that one series where he played like really good defense on LeBron a while back when he was on Indiana? Yep, <laughs> yep. It felt like it felt like that. Like he was guarding Brunson and Luca full court, just going all out, and he could not score at all. Like mm-hmm. he was just that tired, where he was putting it all out of defense and. Eventually, that game goes down to the last few minutes. Uh, unfortunately, Brunson misses a pretty easy layup. And Dwight Powell gets the offensive rebound and tries to put it back, but he gets hacked by Mitchell, and he misses both free throws. And eventually, you have Mitchell throw a lot to go bare, and that settles the game. So it's serious not 2-2. You go to Dallas for game five. And... The Utah team that showed up in game four was nowhere to be found. Like, they came out very slow. Like, I thought their defense was okay in the first half, but 
Dallas eventually just picked on them. Like Luca was starting to realize, like, hey, I don't have to hunt for Bogdanovich or Gobert. I can just post up Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, Don Mitchell. And he kept abusing them. And anytime I'd kick it out, just do Brunson being faster than everyone else on the floor. And Gobert got into foul trouble pretty early. And the Jazz were kind of out of options for a while. They just felt stagnant. Like, I think, I don't remember what the exact score was, but for a good chunk of like the first three quarters, the score was at like 50 for the Jazz. I think it was like 50 points in three quarters. Like, when was the last time that has ever happened? I can't remember. Off off the top of my head, absolutely not. Like, that's some, like, Pacers Pistons stuff from, like, 2004. Yeah. that, that <laughs> He's a 2004, yep. Yeah, that series was something. Um, but the Jazz could not hit a single shot and genuinely felt like they were just gassed and, like, didn't have anything. Like, they fed Gobert on switches early on, which I thought was interesting. Um, his first possession was he got uh, he got a switch onto Reggie Bullock, mm-hmm. and he's pretty deep into the paint. And I was wondering if they're going to throw it to him because he has his hands up, and the Jazz haven't really done that. And what do you know? Mike Conley throws it to him. He just turns, lays it in. Perfect. And they run that play a couple of times, just get a switch on Gobert and throw it to him in the post. And it works a little bit, and then Dallas realized – hey, we can just, if they're going to force feed him, we're just going to have Benny Smith uh, tail him on the back line and just block him or contest a shot. And eventually that fell apart. Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell just couldn't get into rhythm at all. Yep. And Donovan's shooting has just been awful. I feel like he's been so selfish. I mean, you see that really in the fourth, but like... Uh Part of that, I think, is just Dallas is, like, forcing them into one-on-one. Like, anytime they get a switch, they're not letting them just run their normal offense with pick and rolls and just with all the beautiful ball movement you see in the regular season. It's just, hey, we're going to make you ISO against us, and chances are you're not going to hit your shot. Yeah. And, unfortunately, you're right. Yeah, and I think today, like, you saw it after in that third quarter, especially when Luka – decide to turn it on and just annihilate the jazz. They had no answers and it was over. Um, Obviously they're going back to Utah for game six. Anything can happen technically, but I don't think the jazz have any more answers. Like they tried going small today. That did not work. Uh, You cannot put Eric Pascal on Luca. Sorry. It's, you're not going to score and you're not going to not going to defend. And then the other thing was like the Mavs, like I think they just decided to humiliate them. Like they were up 30 and they still played like aggressive defense. Like you had Luca blocking shots at the rim and just taking it, going down the court for a step back three. It was the most aggressive I've ever seen the Mavs be. And they're up 30. You would have thought they were down 30 for them to be playing this aggressive. So I think Utah's kind of in disarray. I, I anticipate this game, game six being the last game, um, especially with whatever happens with Mitchell. Like it seems like in the post-conference that he said he's going to be okay and he aims to be playing in that game, but you never know with these things. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I It's so – I don't even know. Honestly, I, I think – where does Utah go from here? Because I see it too. This is just like the bottom falls out. The team kind of knows when they're cooked. I'm sure they'll come up with some fight. Without Donovan Mitchell, if he's not there, uh, even less of a bite. You know what I mean? And if that's the case, uh, is Quinn Snyder going to Lakers? Do you trade Rugal Bear? Is he a Maverick? Is Donovan Mitchell a Nick? Like, the questions start. This iteration of the, of the Jazz, I think, finally reaches a hard stop. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it depends on, like, what Ainge wants to do. Um, but in general, like, so my criticism of this team has always been, like, you've seen the same issues for the last couple of years. Why mm. the hell have you not addressed them in any meaningful way? Like, Rudy Gay is not a small ball five. 
Okay. We thought maybe he could juice up their offense a little bit, but he can't. And defensively, he's nowhere. He wasn't ever really a great defender, but he's, he's toast on that end. And at the trade deadline, you knew that, hey, we need some more perimeter length and athleticism. We need to be able to guard more on the perimeter. And what do you do? You decide to get Nikhil Alexander-Walker. A six, 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 seven guard mm-hmm. with size who theoretically can create his own shot and theoretically can defend. Uh, problem is he can barely get into the rotation because he can't do any of that stuff regularly. Yeah, no. And that was your best acquisition at the deadline. And then congrats, your best defender on the perimeter, aside from Rudy Gobert, was the guy you signed who was a free agent in Daniel House. Wow. Wow. That's, I mean, yeah. The, like, we can, we can talk about, like, teams that, look, say what you want about the Knicks. They mm-hmm. tried. They saw a problem, and they tried to address it. Their, their solution sucked, but at least they tried. I don't even know what the hell Jazz are doing. Like, you didn't do anything to help yourself. And then, like, last year, okay, you, you have an excuse, kind of, in that Mitchell and Conley were hurt. Hey, who knows how the series could have went. Um, this year, you don't have that excuse. Like, all your guys were healthy. Until now, obviously, but all your guys were pretty healthy. Um, and you kind of got a handicap of the fact that Luca didn't play the first three games. And you couldn't capitalize on that. That's true. And that, so you go into the offseason, like, one, has Mitchell justified to you that he can be the star of your franchise? No. I don't think so. I, I, I don't, he was outplayed by Brunson. These first three games. And severely so. And it's not just the defense. Like, his offense was terrible, too. Mm-hmm. Like, aside from, like, he put up numbers, but. He was Empty scoring. calorie numbers. Yeah, he, and he got up a bunch like, of shots. Conley looks like he's regressed as well. Yeah, Conley is just kind of, the age is getting to him. But, so, your quote-unquote superstar the guy you're ideally building a franchise around. I don't know if I want to build my franchise around him. I'd like him as a second guy. I think that's fantastic. But mm-hmm. I don't know if I want him to be the guy who drives my offense. I don't trust him yet. And then you have all this weird personalities clashes within the team. So you have Rudy Gobert, who is an elite defender, all-time great rim protector, but he's being paid the supermax. So your cap is tied up with a defensive center who is limited offensively, making most of the money on your team. And then Donovan Mitchell, who you also don't know if you should build around him yet. A a flawed star in the sense that he may not be He's a tier below, like more Zach LeBron than Devin Booker. Yeah. yeah, he's closer to that than he is to the Tatum, Luca, Jaw, that level of guy. So, if I were the Jazz, I'd look into straight rebuild. Like, what can I get for Donovan Mitchell? What can I get for Rudy Gobert? Because I think if you trade one, there's no point in keeping the other. Um, I don't see what you get for one of them that will suddenly make you into a contender or improve your chances of winning. Like, if I, am I going to get Jason Tatum for Rudy Gobert? Hell no. Am I going to get Jalen Brown for Rudy Gobert? No. No, Um, that's not happening. Am I going to get one of those for Mitchell? No. What? So, in general, like, I don't see what I would get in exchange for one of those that would suddenly make me in a put me in a better spot. You're just gonna downgrade naturally. So if it was me, I have a lot of long-term money tied up, especially with Conley now as well. So I'd look to move all of them. 
start from a clean slate, get some picks, get some assets, and just rebuild. I mean, that's the only thing I can see as a possibility right now. I, I just, I, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. That's the only that's the only thing I see as something that's possible right now, and it's uh, it's gonna be interesting to see. Um, a full offseason breakdown is gonna be fun in the future. We gotta do a bunch of those, or I gotta do a bunch of those coming up. But uh, what other series are you interested in here before we wrap this up? One up on the route. Okay, just a quick thoughts on a couple series. One, uh. What the hell are Bucks doing? <laughs> like, good lord! Like, I thought they were over this last year. I thought finally in the final game, Brooklyn, like they figured it out, and Atlanta showed up a little bit. But by the time they got to the Suns, they figured it out. They figured out how do you run an offense, and then they go into this Bulls series and they're doing the same crap again. Yeah. Like, no. Okay, you put Giannis in the post. Why the hell is Javon Carter one pass away? Yep. Why is it not Drew Holiday or Grayson Allen or Pat Connaughton or Chris Mills, whoever, like someone who can actually shoot so that when the double comes, I can hit them and they'll get an open three. It's simple things like that that just annoy me because it's like you, you went through this last year and I thought you had gotten over it, but you're doing the same stupid mistakes again. And it makes me wonder, like, do you really not learn anything? Is this just going to keep happening until you get punched in the mouth and realize, oh, we got to change? That's true. That's true. I, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I just, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's one of those, the Bucks are going to be fine because they're playing the Bulls, right? And the Celtics are going to be an interesting match with them. Like, oh, that that's going to be a death match. Just, I'm very intrigued by that. Yeah. Uh, another series, P.J. Tucker in this latest Miami-Atlanta game. Mm-hmm. Hey, I... Trey Young's been taken out. 7 of 33 from 3 this series. Two games so far under 10 points. No, but, like, the my favorite part in this game was that he decided, I'm just going to bully everyone. Like, he gets a post-up on Trey, and he gets a basket, and he realizes, hey, I'm bigger and stronger than most of the guys on the court. Let me just post up everyone. And he goes immediately to Onyeka Kongu. It's like 6'9", pretty big. And he just decides, I'm going to feast today. I'm just going to get a couple buckets. And like three straight possessions, he decides, I'm scoring. Going back to the old P.J. Tucker before uh, he came back from Ukraine and all the international leagues where he was just like the MVP over there. Um, so that series, like they've completely shut down Trey Young. It's been masterful watching them. Uh, and then the other series that's really interesting to me is Minnesota Timberwolves, Memphis Grizzlies. Um, someone said have an over-under on how many minutes before one of Cat and Jared Jackson fouls out. Oh, yes. It's the race every time, dude. It's That series is so compelling for a number of reasons, but go on, please. So one, like, Taylor Jack gets coming out and saying, like, this is one of the worst officiated games. Like, okay, first of all, do you know how many players are on your team? Dylan Brooks and Jaron Jackson have to be, like, two of the most aggressive, most foul-attracting players. Like, they're the most likely to get fouled on every, to commit stupid fouls because they're just that aggressive. And yeah. on the other hand, you have Carl Anthony Counts, who is like the exact same thing, but they both do for stupid reasons. Like they're not, it's not like, Hey, I'm going to contest the shot at the rim. And Oh, I reached in. It's like, no, I'm off the ball and I'm jumping over a guy to try to get this rebound that I know I have no chance of getting. No chance of getting just a foolhardy. Yeah. Yeah. But a foolhardy rush to get something they have no way of, of, of going for. It's honestly kind of funny. Oh, it's hilarious watching those two. But then just seeing the dynamics, like Jaw has actually been struggling from the to finish at the rim a little bit in this series. Um, and I think just seeing cost of hell from Vanderbilt and the ball pressure of forcing two on the ball and kicking it out to someone just made him slightly less efficient. Mm-hmm. But Desmond Bain has been killing it. Dylan Brooks had some good shots. Um, 
Jaron Jackson hasn't been nearly as impactful offensively. And I think part of that is just that he can drive to the rim the same way a guy like Towns can. Yeah. Jaron Jackson still is more of a cat and shoot guy. He can come off screens and hit threes, but he's still more dependent on getting the ball thrown to him to score. Uh, and then Towns, on the other hand, it's just like the first couple of games, I think it was game two or game three, that he only got the ball or he only took four shots or something. Can't remember what it was. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. uh, I think the I saw a stat the other day where it's like the entire series, he, he got the ball in the post six times. And in the regular season, like he posts up six times a game at least. So yeah. it's like get Towns, get the ball to Towns in better situations. I think part of that is, Anthony Edwards can, as good as a scorer as he is, he can be a bit too, uh, I won't like, say selfish, but more like too overconfident. Himself. Yeah, yeah, it's either one or the other. Yeah. And it feels like the way Minnesota's playing is like they're trying to get the home run every time, as opposed to like just going for a single or a double. Taking what the defense they're gives trying them. Trying to make the big play, the big flashy play that will get them score it. That's kind of how they dropped the lead twice. Wow. I just I, I I don't know. I just it's it's crazy to think about how weird both of these games have been. You know, uh, this series has been. You've had John Morant kind of feeling out of it, uncharacteristically low shooting performances. You've had two good games from Ant, two solid games from um Carnival Towns. You had a finally good D'Lo game after he was rendered ineffective at the very beginning. Um, you've had, you know, just Patrick Beverly back and forth going at. I like this is the strategy they used uh, last game. It's saying, hey, you know what? I'm just going to go at John Moran. I can either get to the basket or make plays for others or get to the free throw line. And he did 12 different times. And just Ja is a horrible point of attack defender. It is crazy how bad he is that way. No, oh, yeah. More teams should go at him. Mm. I think this is one of the things that happens where, like, for some reason, these guys who are crazy athletes start to early on get this reputation of being good or solid defenders, and people don't want to go at them as much. Like, remember, it happened a lot with Westbrook early on. Like, Westbrook was a much better defender early on, but still, yeah. he was a liability on that. Like, he was someone you could attack, and it felt like people just didn't attack these guys nearly as much. Um, but yeah, like Jaw, he's the weak link in that defense. Um, Desmond Bain is strong. Dylan Brooks is obviously a good defender. Jared Jackson, Xavier Tillman, mm-hmm. Brandon Clark. And they've had a lot of success once they took Steven Adams on the floor with their center rotation of Brandon Clark or Xavier Tillman being able to guard Towns and even Kyle Anderson at times just as another guy who provides a playmaking at that big position. They they just have a lot of guys, and they've been able to figure out things that work. And I think once their team figures out how to stop fouling every five seconds, they might actually win this game. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's possible. I just – I don't know. Where, where do you see – who do you see coming on top of this right now? Ty series, you know – Memphis, another game in Memphis, another game in Minnesota for the series to be over. Who ends up moving on? I mean, do you have a list of what games protesters will be at? Because if there is, yes, I know. The, <laughs> the Wolves will win. I have no clue. Um, Has there been like the two games that there were protests the Wolves have won? And three. the third, the play-in game? Three. Yeah, I was about to say. One playing game, two playoff games. And when they protest... Like, what the, the hell is the Wolves doing? Like, who is this person? It's like backwards karma for up. some reason. Yeah, I don't know. And, and, and get such good seats, honestly. Yeah. But no, um, I think Memphis should win this series, but I can see Minnesota beating them. Oh, I think Towns is a bad matchup for the Grizzlies because Jared Jackson, as good as he is, he's still not like the strong, burly rim protector who can battle a guy in the post. So I think Towns can just run through him a couple times. And the problem is Minnesota isn't really playing through Towns nearly as much. They're mm. still kind of using him more as a spot-up guy 
running around on the perimeter where I think you can really use them on the inside and get Jared Jackson to foul trouble, bait him into fouls, just constantly attack. And I think you have a good shot at winning if you're Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, I think that it's going to be interesting. I like Minnesota on this, but I will say that um, there's just more experience on Memphis side right now, you know? Yeah, for sure. So that that's, that's one that I'm going to look at. Um, and probably I'm not going to make a decision on it yet. When we do another show, I'm sure we'll do another show before then, before the series is over. And and go from there, but I I don't know. I feel like Memphis can go out on top, but I like I like Minnesota's chances so far. Uh, it's too tough, man. It's too tough. But also, my brain's probably shutting down doing this late. <laughs> yeah, and then the other series, there really isn't much to talk about. Like Jokic is completely outmatched. Yeah, and yeah, go on. I'm sorry. Huh? Anurud. On the roof? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. I don't know what the hell happened. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, like, he has nothing to work with. No, and, he's lost. Like, he's trying. Um, him calling out the lob was fun, just to see that get caught on tape with him calling out specifically the end of game saying they're going to lob it to Wiggins and Austin Rivers trying out there. Like he's actually done a decent job on Steph. It's just that you have three splash brothers running around terrorizing Denver and Denver's personnel is already not really equipped to deal with that kind of uh, offense. So they're running away with this and Draymond just being master of defense. Yeah. Yeah. That's what Draymond Draymond does. I mean, I love uh, the way Jokic has played, you know, they had a very uh, heroic valiant performance um, back at home for Denver to try to not make this a sweep shout out to Monte Morris shout out to bones Highland. But at the end of the day, I mean, you're playing a golden state team that has championship experience, has a youthful firepower, they, they really don't stand a chance. Um, this series is going to end tomorrow. And, you know, it's, it's no big deal. I mean, it's it's a problem. I'm sure Yoke should catch a lot of flack. But when you play without your second and third best players all season long, the playoffs you're playing against competition is much better. This was to be expected, you know? Yeah, and there's a reason people think the Warriors are like a title favorite. So it's not like he's losing to the Utah Jazz or the Minnesota Timberwolves or Memphis Grizzlies. No, he's losing to the Warriors. Like, don't you expect the Warriors to beat them? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This is what exactly. I mean, it's a three, what, three, six matchup? Come on now. Yeah. Like, come on now. You know, and so I, I don't want to give Jokic any flag. He's been doing really well. And, and mind you, it's not like the Nuggets were horrible. Yeah, they didn't provide consistent help for Jokic, but the Warriors are just better. And guess what? That happens. So it is what is there for sure. But Honorude, man. I mean, <laughs> we aimed for half an hour. We went almost an hour anyways. Listen, bro. Um, I mean, obviously, we can find you here on the show. We got to get you back on here uh, sometime either this week or next week. You game? Yeah, sounds good. No talking out, make it happen. Hey, always, man. Really appreciate you coming on, um, letting your insight and just having a conversation. Definitely check out Honorude here. So, you know, you want his takes? Uh, exclusive round ball ramble. Um, until Anirud tells me otherwise for social media, but I said you, you said that you, you just kind of come on this show. So we have exclusive rights almost. Yeah. That's the way it's been for now. And I think I'd like to keep it that way. There it is. Any complaints about my takes can go to Corbin. (laughs) You heard it, but also don't send me any, (laughs) (laughs) but listen, y'all definitely make sure to check Anirud on here. Um, the dude knows the stuff and I actually want to talk draft with him coming up. So that'll be a good conversation for a future episode. But as far as us here on Ramble Ramble, you can find me on Twitter at Corbin NBA. This is Sports Ethos presentation. So check out Sports Ethos on Twitter at Sports Ethos online, sportsethos.com. One more time, follow at Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter. Get that news as soon as it comes out. And one last thing, y'all, Manscaped is here, okay? 
We are getting to the summer. We want to get ourselves cleaned up and ready. Make sure you use the coupon code HOOPBALL20. I know we're sports ethos now, but the code is still HOOPBALL20, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L-2-0 to get 20% off your order plus free shipping. Listen, y'all, it's been a blast, but it's time to go. For Anarud, for myself, we are frosty. Y'all stay frosty, and I'll talk to y'all real, real soon. All right, y'all. This has been a Sports Ethos presentation.